Hey, about 20 years ago, I had a dream, and in that dream, uh, I don't know really what had happened. I don't know if it was a, a, a natural catastrophe or if war had happened or something had happened. And in my dream, I was digging through the rubble of what had been my house. And uh, there, was, there was just this, this sense of loss on me as, as I'm digging through and I'm not looking for, you know, money that Lisa had stashed somewhere. I'm not looking for family heirlooms or pictures. What I'm looking for is my Bible. And there was this overwhelming sense of dread that I couldn't find my Bible. Now, once again, this was 20 years ago, so it's, it wasn't on our phones back then. I know some of you cannot even begin to imagine that. But you actually had to have a, a, a written one. And I couldn't find my Bible. And this, this loss, this, this, this hurt was on me as I'm looking for it and I'm talking to myself and I'm going, Lord, Lord, I need my Bible because I don't know it. Lord, I, I, I need my Bible because I've not hidden it in my heart the way that I, I should have. Lord, I don't know your word. I need my Bible. Where is my Bible? And I'm just digging through all this rubble, and I couldn't find it anywhere, and this loss was on me. And about that time, uh, kind of a troop transport, you know what I'm talking about, those, those trucks that, that move soldiers around. If you've ever watched World War II movies, that's kind of what it looked like. And they were picking up refugees, and I jumped on there with them, and I'm just sitting there with this, with this sense of loss. It's, it was almost as if I was never going to be able to, to get a Bible again. And as I sat there, I looked down in the, the pocket in my shirt. There was a little New Testament. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the, the Gideon New Testaments. Once a year, they used to come around to the elementary schools, and they would give you a New Testament if you wanted one. And in my shirt pocket was one of those New Testaments. And I remember pulling it out. And I just held it and I said, Lord, never again will I be without your word. Never again will I take your word for granted. Never again will I neglect studying and reading your word. And I woke up and the, the, the interpretation of the dream was obvious. At that time in my life, Many of you know that, that Lisa and I had gone through a, a hurtful time in ministry when we were outside of church. And I wasn't putting a whole lot of time into studying my Bible at that time. I didn't have anybody to preach to, so why did I need to read it? But the Lord was saying, you need the Word. You need the Word. You need the Word. You need to know me. And I'm not going to tell you that every day of my life for the last 20 years that I've been in the Word... But I can guarantee there's been more days that I've connected with the Lord in his book than not. It became real and it became important to me. And that's one of the reasons, because the word is so important, that we're in a series that we're just taking a book of the Bible and we're going through it chapter by chapter. Usually we teach topically. But we're taking this time to go through the Word. And I'm going to tell you, it stretches me because I'm not a very good teacher. I'm good at telling stupid stories, but I'm not the greatest teacher 
in the Word. But we are in a series called Love Letter. And it's on the book of Colossians. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And by the time we get done, I want you to have seen how God's love should change our identity and enlarge our capacity to love others. My lesson is called, I am what I am and that's all that I am. I am what I am and that's all that I am. I am either what the word says I am or I am what situations, failures, and experience tell me that I am. And the only way that I'm going to know the difference is by spending time in this book, getting to know the God of this book, getting to know what he says about his children. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. The theme of the chapter comes out of verse 14, and I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version first. It says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all these, above everything, put on love, because it binds us together in perfect harmony. This morning, I want to show you four takeaways from the third chapter of Colossians. And the first takeaway is, Jesus did it, but I get it. Jesus did it, but I get it. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation, uh, mostly for the rest of the time. Verse 1 says... Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Now, we could stop right there, and we could preach on that for a really, really long time. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection also. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned, at a place of all power, honor, and authority. Now, I'm a very visual person, so when words jump out at me, I just see things. And that word yearn, yearn, it just jumps out and it grabs me. So I went to the, to the Greek to see what, what this word yearn, what else could it be translated as? Now, listen to this. It can also be translated to crave. To crave. Have you ever had a craving? And I'm not talking about sitting around going, hmm, wish I had a hamburger. <laughs> I'm talking about a real craving like somebody in the desert who has not had water, but they crave that water because your body needs it. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the desert and, and there's no water around and you're dying of thirst, nobody's sitting around going, I wish I had a Perrier. <laughs> You'll slam your face into any mud hole you can find because there's life there right? That's to crave. We need to yearn. We need to crave for the things of heaven like that. It also means to seek earnestly, to desire. And listen to this one. This one caught me by surprise. That word can be translated to worship. To worship, in other words, to crave and earnestly seek after the life that's in line with the power of the resurrection is an act of worship. 
Jesus isn't dead. I promise you, Jesus isn't dead. But he's, see, he's seated. He's enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And he's there with all power and authority and honor. And guess what? The Bible says so are we. The Bible says so are we. In Ephesians 2, verse 6, it says, For he, talking about God the Father, for he raised us from the dead. Does that kind of like, sound like what we're, we're talking about? His resurrection is your resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead. So have you. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. As Jesus is seated in heaven, he's there as our representative, and we are there with him spiritually. Everything that Jesus has in heaven, he wants to give to us. We're not waiting on some day, some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. No, that's not what we're waiting on. We're not waiting on to fly away somewhere. That'll be a fantastic day. I'm glad for the day that we'll go to heaven, but that's not what we're waiting on. Right here, right now, the realities of heaven are told what we're supposed to yearn for. We're supposed to crave the realities of heaven here on this earth. So we've been raised up with him. We've been seated with him. We're united with him. So yearn for the reality of that in your life. And you go, well, how, how does that even work? Verse 2 begins to tell us. Colossians 3, verse 2. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not the distractions of this natural realm. Start to think about, start to fill your mind, start to fill your thoughts with the realities of heaven. Feast on that. Once again, I'm a visual person. When I see feast, I see feast. What do you see? I see thanksgiving. I see all this stuff out here. Heaven's not boring. Heaven's not just a popsicle and welcome in. We've got a whole banquet table laid out before us. Psalms 23 says that the Lord prepares a table, a banqueting table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. Even when the enemy is raging, even when things seem like they're falling apart, Jesus says, I'm laying a table out for you. Feast on this. Don't worry about them. I'm going to take care of this. You feast on this. You feast on the realities of heaven. And fill your thoughts with that not on the distractions of the natural realm. The truth, the truth, feast on that. But we got to admit, we do sometimes feast on the other side, don't we? We do think about those things, don't we? We think about those distractions. And when we, when we focus on the distractions, it brings us to a place of shame. When I'm focused on sin, it brings me to a place of shame. When I'm, when I'm focused on my failures, when I'm focused on this, when, when I suddenly wake up and go, oh, Lord, I should have been praying. I should have been in the Word. I should have been at church. I should have been witnessing. I should have been doing all these things, and I realize I haven't been doing it. It brings me to a place of shame. 
And we don't want to be in shame. Because shame keeps us focused on the distractions. Shame keeps us focused on on sin or what's unacceptable. But when we're focused on the heavenly realities, conviction comes. Conviction. That word conviction just means to be convinced of something. God's not trying to tell you you're a horrible person. He's just convincing you what you've been doing is not working. He's not wanting you to be be focused on the sin and to be wrapped up in the shame. He wants you just to realize this isn't working. That's conviction. I don't like this. This is conviction. But when we're so focused on the sin part of it, the unacceptable part of it, we can't be focused on righteousness. And righteousness is what is acceptable. I know that's a big word, righteousness. It sounds very churchy, doesn't it? All it means is being acceptable to God. When we're focused on what's unacceptable, it keeps us over here in the mess. But when we're focused on what is acceptable, it it brings us to a place of repentance. That's another churchy word, repentance. But repentance, all it means is the Lord is changing the way that you think about something so you will do opposite of what you've been doing. If you're focused on sin, you're going to continue to sin. If you're focused on what is unacceptable, you're going to be meditating and thinking about what is unacceptable. Even if you don't like it, even even if you're going, I'm such a horrible person, but you're focused on that. Instead of being focused on, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that brings me to a place of repentance. Lord, I don't want to think about myself like this anymore. I want to think about what you say about me. See, if we stay over on this side, we're riding that emotional roller coaster. Now, emotions aren't bad, but when we live our life by emotions, guess what? Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, right? Sometimes we're here, sometimes we're here. And when I'm up here, I'm doing really good and I'm really happy and I'm a really nice person. Sometimes I'm down here and I'm, you don't want to be around me. Right? But when I'm living in a life of repentance, when I see this, I'm running over here. I'm running to God. Going, God, change the way that I think. Change the way that I think so this is not a snare to me anymore. The difference between connecting with God, our God-inspired life through repentance as opposed to living on that emotional roller coaster is like the difference between two old guys that had a heart attack and they go to the doctor. Now, they go separately because they're not that good of friends. But they go separately and the doctor tells them the exact same thing. says, you need to start getting some exercise. You need to change your diet. Need to stop eating red meat. And he tells both of these guys the exact same thing. Now, the first one 
hears and he begins to think differently. He changes the way that he eats. He cuts out red meat. I know that's, that's tough to say to Texans. He cuts out red meat. He starts to get some exercise, and his life begins to change. The other guy heard the same message. There was emotions about doing something different because something has happened to him. But when he walks away and the emotions are gone, he decides he's going to watch more football on TV and just not put ketchup on his hamburger. Sometimes we think because we've had an emotional response to something that that's all we need. Emotions are good. I love to feel Jesus. But the emotional response is not all you need. We, without repentance, nothing really changes. We've got to have a place where we come and God changes our mind. All right, second takeaway. Our second takeaway is we should be looking like Jesus. Verse 10, for you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. And this is where I find people struggle more than anything else. Listen to this. You have acquired new creation life. So if we've, created, if we've acquired new creation life by coming into a relationship with Jesus, why do we continue to live according to the patterns of our old life? When we identify, now listen to the, the way I'm saying this, because there's theology out there. It's not up here, it's out there. Uh, for those of you who have no clue, theology means the study of God. So, never mind. Went way over your head. Sorry. I know. <laughs> you should have just given me a, 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 a courtesy chuckle, okay? Uh, thank you. <laughs> There's theology out there that says that we are sinners and that we will always be sinners. The only difference between people that go to heaven and people that go to hell is that we have a connection to Jesus. Now, that sounds good on the surface, except I'm no longer a sinner. I was a sinner. The Holy Spirit came and convicted me of sin. On September the 23rd, 1987, when I was 20 years old, the Holy Spirit convicted me of sin. But then I got a new life. I'm no longer just an old sinner saved by grace. I am a person full of grace. Do I still blow it sometimes? Absolutely. But what's the difference? God's not still trying to convict me of sin. God is convicting me of righteousness now. God's not coming to a place and going, you're just a sinner and bringing shame. And that's the enemy lying to you. The Holy Spirit comes now and goes, that's not who you were recreated to be. That's not who you were saved to be. So I'm running to righteousness. I'm not focused on the old sin life. 
If I'm over here just trying to stop, well, I'll stop. If you had enough willpower to stop sending you to done it by now, right? If I just grunt hard enough, I'll stop. I'll stop. I can change myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. If you've got that much willpower, take me to lunch. (laughs) Tell me how you do it. Okay? No, the Holy Spirit pushes us towards righteousness, convicts us of righteousness. John 16 tells us that. All right. When we identify as a when we identify as a new creation, we acknowledge that the old man is dead and that the new man is alive. Now we have all the resources of heaven to empower us to live a transformed life. But what we identify with determines how we live. All we hear about nowadays is identity, 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 identity. People don't understand their identity. God has given us a new identity. So whatever it was we were struggling with before, I'm not saying that you didn't have hurts, that you didn't have things going on, but you know what? Jesus dealt with that. Now we have a new identity. Are there some things we're going to have to walk through, some things that God's going to have to set us free from? Absolutely. But we do it from a place of sonship, not slaveship. You got that? Okay. I'm taking up way too much time. Excuse me. Okay. Uh, down in verse 11, and I don't have time to, to really get into this the way that I would normally get into this, but it says, uh, in this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Your ethnicity, education, or economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Now, if you've been around here two or three times and you've had a conversation with me, you know that racial reconciliation is big on my heart. And the reason it is is because I have Scripture. See, we think that our differences divide us. But in Jesus' kingdom, our differences, they enhance us. Tony Evans, who is a a pastor over in Dallas, happens to be a black man. He said, racism is is not first and foremost about skin problem. It's about sin problem. Can I say that again? It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. See, when you believe, this is still the quotation, see, when you believe that racism is a skin problem, you can take everything that we've gained, you can take all the court decisions, the marches, and the federal government involvement and still not get it fixed right. But in the kingdom of God, it gets fixed right because we don't separate ourselves by what we think divides us. We don't separate ourselves by by differences of, of looks and opinions. We allow that to enhance who we are. And the world is not going to dictate to the church of Jesus Christ how to do race relations. But that doesn't give us an out because we've sat around and done nothing. But let me prophesy something. We're called to get it right. 
We're called to get it right. I'm not, I, I would never, I love New Covenant Church. I would never ever say that we're better than anybody else, but I know one thing is a part of the call of this church is to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. We're called to get it right. And we will fight against that spirit of division with everything that's inside of us. Jesus' church will reflect his love for all, and we will see that in the diversity of people that the Lord brings in this house. All right, third takeaway. Now that we've got it, we've got to give it. Now that we've got it, we've got to give it. Chapter 3, verse 12, first part of the scripture says, you are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with virtues of God. In other words, wrap up in his love. The last part of the scripture says, to be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble and unoffendable. That's a word we do not use in our society very often. Everybody's offended about something. But we're to be unoffendable in our patience with others. We got to work hard to understand others. Let me tell you, don't just put yourself around people that think just like you. Because that's not the kingdom. People have different perspectives. That's why we push so hard and talk so much around here about the, the five ministry giftings, not just the pastor. I like pastors. We're awesome. <laughs> but guess what? If we only have the perspective of the pastor, we're missing four perspectives. We're not seeing what the apostle is seeing. We're not seeing what the prophet is seeing. We're not seeing what the evangelist is seeing. And we're not seeing what the teacher is seeing when we're only seeing what the pastor sees. We can't, we can't surround ourselves with think just like me. Why? I've got me. I don't need somebody that thinks like me. I need somebody that's seeing something from a different perspective. Because when we put it all together, we've got a beautiful picture of Jesus. And don't just do it in, in natural settings. I, I know we're drawn to people, and we like to be around people that are like us, that like things like we like. You know, if you're a hunter-fisherman, you like to talk to other hunter-fishermen. If you like sports, you like to hang out with people that like sports. But the kingdom is so much bigger than that. Somebody's uh, perspective, somebody's experience can change the way that I'm even interpreting things. So don't cut somebody off. Don't push them out just because, uh, well, that's not the way that I, I see it, or that's not the way that my favorite uh, newscaster says it. We should, we're to be together. Christians can have differences of opinions, believe it or not. But we can't be easily offended. That's the tough part. When somebody looks at you and says, I don't believe you, to not be offended. When somebody says, I believe it a different way, to not be offended. Because the scripture goes on to tell us 
In verse 13, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way that you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness in them. Guess what? We're good at finding fault in people, right? We're good at finding fault, but release them. Release them. Yeah, but they're never going to know the truth, or they're never going to see it my way. Don't you love people with that personality? They've got to see it my way because I've, 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 I've got the corner on Revelation. In other words, shut up and stop criticizing everyone. Verse 14. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. If love shows maturity, some of us are still in preschool. And I'll point at me. I'm not, I'm, see, I'm not even looking at anybody. See, when you say things like that as a pastor, they go, why is he looking at me? Why was he looking at me right when he said that? So you notice I closed my eyes and I wasn't even looking. First part of verse 15. Let your heart always be guided by the peace of the anointed one. Love brings peace. Love changes situations, okay? Just a quick story. Uh, in 1978, a former vice president of the United States named, named Hubert Humphrey died. And people from all over the world came to D.C. for his, his funeral, including a man who had left Washington about four years earlier in complete disgrace. His name was Richard Nixon, the only president that we've ever had that had to resign. He resigned in the face of, of what's been called the Watergate scandal, which seems pretty tame to some of the junk going on now, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But uh, he comes in, and everybody is surprised to see him. Nobody talks to him. In fact, they sort of shun him, and he's just left standing by himself. That is until the, the serving president walks in, a man named Jimmy Carter. He walked in, and although Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon were from two different political parties, and many people standing in there was like, well, he deserves it. Jimmy Carter saw Nixon standing by himself, and he walked straight up to him, put his hand out, embraced him. He said, welcome. Welcome home, Mr. President. You know that there are people that won't come in a church because they're afraid of the way they will be received. There are people sitting in here this morning that are afraid to talk about what's really going on in their life because they're afraid of what people will think. But love brings peace. Love brings peace. When we're unoffendable, when we're patient, 
When we're looking out what's best for the other person, there's nothing that you're going to say to me that's going to make me stop caring about you. Love brings peace. Fourth takeaway, and i got to do this one real fast. Thank you. (laughs) Where are the ushers? Please remove him. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Fourth takeaway. The key that helps all of this work. The key that helps all of this work. Verse 16, the beginning of verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct each other. How are we going to live in a place of peace and love? How are we going to be unoffendable? How are we going to be these people that can overlook the failings of others and continue to love? It comes by knowing the God of this book right here. The Bible tells us that we're washed by the water of the Word, the Word of God. The Bible teaches us, trains us, it cleanses us. I use this, uh, uh, this illustration quite often. You may have heard it if you've sat and talked with me. But it's like going bowling. Now, I'm not much of a bowler, but uh, you go bowling, and have you ever seen when they put the bumpers up They put the rails up, the guards up. Why do they do that? No, not because I suck. Why do they do it? To keep you out of the gutter. God's not giving us rules and regulations to keep us from enjoying life. He's just trying to keep us out of the gutter. When we apply the word, we stay out of the gutter. Let me just say this. A lot of people reject the authority of the Word. A lot of people say that the Word contradicts itself. But I'm telling you, people do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject it because it contradicts them. God gives us a way to live that's wise and healthy and beautiful, and strong. God loves us no matter what we do, but if you want to be one of these people that are unoffendable, you want to be one of these people that are pushing deep into God, it starts right here. It starts in the Word. And I'll finish with this story. There was a man named Robert Thomas who was the first Western missionary in Korea in 1964. He was sent by his his small Welsh church to Korea and they sent him with a, with a crate of Bibles that had been translated into Korean. Now, he had only been there for a few months, hadn't uh, really gotten to, to, to know the Koreans very well, but he did make friends with some, some Americans, and they gave him a ride on a boat up the Taedong River up in, towards a village that, that he was planning on going to. And... Along the the way, somehow, um, the boat was attacked. 
and all of the foreigners that happened to be on the boat were murdered, including Taylor. Now, 25 years later, another missionary has gone to Korea, and he starts to hear stories about the house where people go to read the walls because it tells them about God. And he does some investigation, and he finds out where this house is supposed to be. And he goes and he visits the house. And he finds out that the walls of the house had been papered with the Korean Bible pages that Robert Taylor had brought. Now, a man had found them. He, wasn't, he was just looking to put something up on the wall. But then he started reading it. And his walls began to tell him about a God that loved him. His walls begin to tell him about a God that sacrificed himself for him. His walls begin to tell him how he could, he could live in forgiveness and life. And he began to invite his neighbors in to read his walls. Think about this. If God's wallpaper can change the lives of those who read it, what can he do with someone who will devote themselves to knowing him by knowing the word. Yeah. yeah. This is what I want you to know this morning. Jesus Christ died so you could live. So let's come to a place of repentance so we can stop living in shame. I want you to know that God's church should reflect God's heart for diversity. And I want you to know that as you wrap up in his love, it will bring you to a place of peace and others. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel unashamed. I want you to feel bold and alive in who Christ has recreated you to be. I want you to feel the freedom that comes from being unoffendable as we create a church that is open to all comers. And I want you to feel empowered to share your Jesus story. What do I want you to do? I want you to make a firm commitment to live according to what the death of Jesus purchased for you new life let's leave the old life behind I want you to yearn and crave for that new empowered life I want you to shake off the old dead expression of who you are that you've been dragging around with you and I want you to allow your life to look like what a real believer should look like full of love full of acceptance full of patience full of grace full of the forgiveness that God has given you will you pray with me this morning Father God I thank you so much 
that you are not a, a, a controlling and beating God, that you don't come and remind us of all of our failures so we can live in shame. You don't come and tell us how rotten we've been, how sorry we've been. No, you come and tell us how much you love us. You come and tell us how life could be if, if we would connect with you. Lord, you show us the good things of who you are in your word so we can come to a place of repentance. We can come to a place where we stop thinking about life that's just consumed with me, my needs, my wants. And Lord, we begin to be consumed with who you are. Lord, I thank you that even this morning that you're speaking to hearts, you're speaking to people, and you're speaking freedom to them. You're speaking to them to let go of the hurts of the past so they can be free. Free to be who you've called them to be. In Jesus' name.